Welcome, weirdos. I'm Taryn Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, the strange and bizarre, crime, conspiracy, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. As you might have already guessed, this is a Fireside Frights episode. Once a month, I come to you without the fancy production, no creepy music, it's just you, me, and this campfire, and whatever Mother Nature wants to send our way for background noise. All the stories on Fireside Frights episodes are submitted by you, the listeners of the podcast, my weirdo family. If you're new here, welcome to the show. And while you're listening, be sure to check out WeirdDarkness.com for merchandise, my newsletter, to enter contests, to connect with me on social media. Plus, you can visit the Hope in the Darkness page if you're struggling with depression or dark thoughts. You can find all of that and more at WeirdDarkness.com. Our beverage of choice this evening is... Uh, what am I drinking? I'm drinking the... I'm drinking um, sparkling soda, cherry-flavored, bubbly, and uh, it's mixed with diet cranberry juice from Ocean Spray. So one of my new things that I've been drinking a lot of now. So it's the cranberry juice, of course, is good for me, and then so is the water. And it keeps me away from the soda, which is really nice. So if it's either this or weird dark roast coffee, <laughs> one of the two, and I'm trying to get, cut down on the caffeine today. All right, so here we go. Bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. Our first story comes from Gage. I was younger, around 15 years old. Me and my family, which consisted of myself, my mother, father, and two brothers, ages 14 and the younger, somewhere around 8, had moved into an older house. We moved from a rural part of the area called Bolivar, coincidentally to a house in the downtown area of the town nearby on a street called Bolivar Street. The dark green house, numbered 711, was much older and showed signs of renovations over the years. Though the house still seemed rickety, with the exception of a newer tan metal building added onto the back of the house just off the kitchen, this added third bedroom was my room. The living room, other two bedrooms, kitchen and bathroom all opened up to the dining area, which was centrally located. The master bedroom, which my parents and youngest brother slept in, and the other bedroom, where my 14-year-old brother slept, were located off of this dining area. The bathroom was the only one in the house. It was sort of narrow, and the ceiling was higher than the rest of the house, aside from over the bathtub where the ceiling dropped down by design, to where you could reach it by standing on your tippy-toes. This is the room where we first started noticing things. Starting with my 14-year-old brother and I hearing footsteps over the bathtub walking across the ceiling. This phenomenon seemed only to happen when we took a bath or a shower back and forth, the steps overhead, and they were very audible and clear. We tried mentioning the steps to our parents, but decided to keep it between ourselves after we were met with disbelief from them. The next phenomenon we started to take notice of was the strange behavior of our pets, and particularly a cat that we had the ferociousness that had the ferociousness of a tiger. She was fierce and would often bring whole rabbits to our doorstep when we lived in the country and devoured them. As things went on in the house, we began to notice her absence. 
She'd dart around the house from one hiding spot to another. Me and my brother didn't really give it thought, other than, other than that she might be trying to get used to the new space. The house itself had a very eerie feeling, like the air was heavy and you were always being watched. Shadows seemed to move in and out of your peripheral vision. I first noticed shadows in my peripheral standing in my doorway to my room. My bedroom door was directly in front of the stove, and the vent hood, and the excuse me, the vent hood light was always on and would illuminate a good portion of my room. Though at certain times my doorway seemed absolutely void of light. When I would turn my head to look at my door, the light would return as if someone jumped out of view. I'd also see the same shadows in the living room area. The shadows would peek around corners almost like they were glaring at us but would dart out of view when we turned our heads. If you ignored the shadows, they would slowly move inch by inch into your vision. Of course, all of this was felt and seen by me and my brother. Nobody else seemed to notice as of yet. The feeling in the house was unbearable, and we would sleep with the windows open at all times of the night even though there were no screens over the windows. It just felt safer to sleep with the windows and doors unlocked. We'd run through the house in the evening and never look at anything with a reflection because we feared that we'd see something behind us. One day, while walking through the kitchen and into the dining room, making my way to the living room, I noticed to my right where the bathroom door was a pair of white legs making their way out of the darkness and through the doorway. They walked right up to about two feet from me just casually and vanished. I didn't mention this to my brother, but I was too sure of what I saw and was freaked out. Days passed and my brother came to me and told me that he found something in his closet which butted up against the area where the bathtub was on the other side of the wall. He took me to his closet and showed me the attic door that was located in the ceiling towards the back of his closet. We decided to look into the attic. My brother first peeked in, using the chest of drawers in the closet as a platform to stand on. I then took my turn and peeked into the attic. It was eerily spotless, with a single old coffee can sitting on the floor of the attic. Me and my brother just shrugged it off and got off the chest of drawers and continued on our day. Things kept happening around the house as things went on, and one day it happened, a surreal affirmation. My brother approached me one afternoon and told me that he just saw a pair of legs leave the bathroom. I just looked at him. I'd never told him about that experience. He described the exact thing I saw to detail. I told him about how the exact, thing, uh, exact same thing happened to me, and we both knew that we weren't crazy. The footsteps and happenings progressed when my father started his journey to become a Baptist pastor. At one point, he came out of the bathroom yelling at me and my brother for playing in the attic. We explained that it wasn't us and that we've been trying to explain these things that were happening in the house. At this point, my father began to believe us. As my father continued his journey, things progressively worsened and happened more frequently. One night, my brother said that he was awoke by his closet door. He said that it would swing open and close, opening, or open and close, opening wider and wider, eventually becoming fully opened and then slamming. He said a figure left the closet right after and approached him. It began to scream and hold him down and suddenly vanished. This was, of course, acknowledged by myself and my father. 
I stated I started to take notice of something that kept happening in my room. The sounds of a screaming cat would circle the tan metal building that was my room at the back of the house. It would circle back and forth and scream at all hours of the night. It struck fear in me and I couldn't com and I couldn't comfort myself with the thought of it just being a cat. Things peaked when my dad noticed the shadows. He was watching some evangel uh, evangelicals on TV when he said that a black shadow made its way from the door of the dining room all the way across the room and sat about the television. Dad believed everything we ever told him after that. What I didn't know at the time was that Dad was having dark and gory nightmares. One day all the knives disappeared and, come to find out, Dad took them and hid them in the shed because his nightmares were getting worse and they revolved around me and my brother being butchered and quartered by something evil. We concluded that this thing must be a demon. Dad, still noticing the footsteps, went into the attic and he too noted that it was spotless and clean other than the coffee can. My dad soon requested the assistance of local pastors and they all prayed over the home. My dad, being a freshly ordained minister, was warned that if this persisted, we should leave. Things concluded one night. We were all awoken in the early hours of the morning by my father. He told us to pack our bags and we were leaving. He told us that he had a warm and peaceful dream. Everything was white and thundering voice and said, not one more night in this house. And my father said that he awoke to the smell of cat urine and smoke. We ended up packing things up at 3 a.m. and leaving. Stayed at a relative's house for a few weeks until we found a new home. To this day, it gives me chills to recall this story. Okay, I got a question then for you. Um, Gage, what was in the coffee can? And I know everybody else is wondering, <laughs> wondering that exact same thing right now. If, no, if nothing was in the attic other than a coffee can, you went up there and your brother, you saw the coffee can, and you didn't, you didn't look into it to see if there was anything in the coffee can. You just left it there. Your dad peeked up there, saw nothing in the attic except a coffee can, and apparently left it there, unless he took it down, but you don't mention that. So in my mind, everything's still going on, and the coffee can is by itself up there. I want to know what's in the coffee can because apparently that's where everything is coming from. That's the, the center of everything is coming from the attic, and that's the only thing in the attic, and yet you just left it there? Seriously? Oh, man. I'd, no, I'd be looking, well, I'd, I don't know if I'd actually have the, the bravery to look in the coffee can, but I'd be doing something with it. I'd be hiring somebody to go and get it, maybe like, you know, call an exterminator and say, well, I don't know, hey, while you're up there, since you don't find any mice, can you bring that coffee can down? Um, I'd, do, I'd do something like that just to make sure that that wasn't the case. So now you've left the coffee can for the new owners. Way to go. All right. I would love to have an update on that. I would If if you've heard from the new owners, if they continue to have issues and stuff like that, maybe they looked in the coffee can. I'd like to know. All right, moving on. This next one comes from Luke. Hey there. I've been listening for a few months now, and I love the podcast. My number one. Anyway, I was six at the time, and I fell asleep at like 8.30ish since it was a school night. Later on that night, about 10.30, 11, I woke up to something with long, bony fingers grabbing my ankle from under the bed. I couldn't move, couldn't speak, nothing. I tried screaming out and no voice. It lasted for like 30 seconds, but it seemed like forever. I have a few more stories for you if you want them. Well, yeah, Luke, I definitely want them. 
Uh, that's a short story, but uh, you know, if you gather them all up, send them my way. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to read the other freaky stuff that's happened to you. And I think most people are probably thinking the same thing that I am, that what you experienced is probably a sleep paralysis incident. That seems very similar to what other sleep paralysis incidents um, uh, sound like. I'm not saying that there wasn't anything demonic about it or anything. I'm just saying that, that it, it does feel that way. The idea that something is pinning you down or pulling you down or pushing you down and you can't move at all and you can't speak or anything, that sounds like a sleep paralysis moment. And yeah, even if it lasts for 30 seconds, you're right. It it feels like forever. It feels like hours pass because you can't move. I've been there. I know what it's I know what uh, what it feels like. This next one comes from Madeline. Hi Darren, I want to start with apologies if my English might not uh if my English may ain't that good since I'm from Sweden. Well, my name is Madeline, and I've, since I was a child, experienced paranormal things. I've not told my family so much about this, because I know they wouldn't believe me. Now to my story. Okay, I'm going to try and clean this up as I go, uh, so that way it won't sound like broken English. I've not read this yet. I like to read these off the cuff, so my first reaction is what you get on a Fireside Frights episode, so I'll do my best. I lost my uh, both grandpa... Lost my both grandpa... Okay, she, she apparently lost both of her grandpas, I guess is what she's trying to say. I was really devastated and heartbroken. One night I was crying and my tears couldn't stop, so I prayed to God over and over to see them again. I finally dozed off, but was, was woken up by a knock on my door to my room. I was living at home at the time. It was my grandpas, both of them, my dad's father and my mom's father. They were almost looking like they were alive again. They came in and my mom's dad was sat at my bedside beside me and started talking to me, and still, today, I remember every word he said. Madeline, please don't be sad. Live your life. We know you miss us and we love you too, but if you grieve so much, we can't come to rest because we still care and we, and we are still with you in your heart. Please stop crying. He was stroking my cheek, but was just feeling a little bit cold. After he said that, I promised them that we I promised them and we said goodbye and they just disappeared and I slept off again easier than ever. I never saw them again. I love your show and listen daily. Thanks for a great show. Sincerely, Madeline. Well, thank you, Madeline. I appreciate the uh I appreciate the compliment and thank you for the story. And and uh, you don't really need to need to apologize so much actually. I completely understood what you were saying there in your in your Swedish to English translation. However, you ended up making that happen. It worked. Um, you bring up something that I've never heard before, and I'm wondering if there's something to it. You mentioned that your grandpas, both grandpas, were saying that they couldn't move on because you were so sad. And I'm wondering if that has some reality to it. I wonder if maybe some of the ghosts that, uh, that people experience, if it is an actual ghost, like a spirit of a dead person, not a demonic influence or something like that, or a shadow person or whatever, if it's an actual ghost of somebody that we know, I wonder if the reason they can't move on is because people are mourning so hard for them. Like maybe we haven't let go yet, and so they can't be released in order to go to the, go, go, you know, to the great beyond. Just a guess, but, and I've never heard that before, and, but uh, but your story kind of makes makes that a possibility. So, um, 
I'm interested to see what it, what uh, what others might think about that concept. Do are do ghosts stick around simply because people are still mourning them to the point that they can't let go? Let me know what you think about that. This next one comes from Shane, and he's titled his story "The Old Blue House Next Door." I'm no writer, but I'll do my best to convey my story as it happened. I grew up next door to a very active haunted house. Yes, that's why I've been into the paranormal ever since. Within this house, you'd get everything from disembodied voices, things getting moved by themselves, rocking chairs rocking, beds shaking, the sound of glass breaking, the sound of dishes being washed, and a baby crying. Whenever you walked by the house, it always felt like someone was watching you. Another kid from our neighborhood would walk the railroad tracks across the street just to avoid the house when he'd come by, or uh, or if he was passing by my house or going back to his house. Now, don't get me wrong, I dearly loved the people who lived in the house. We all did. They were a great family. But I think most of the neighborhood hated that house and didn't want to ever go inside. I'd been in it a few times, but it always felt way too creepy, even during the day. Unfortunately, during the blizzard of 78, my brother and I got the pleasure of not only spending the day inside this home, but the night as well, as our family had gotten stuck out of town visiting our father in the hospital. It started off innocent enough, dinner, some games, watching TV. It didn't last long. Shortly after dark, I started noticing the rocking chair in the next room begin to rock slightly, just enough to make you think that maybe you were imagining it. After a few minutes, there was no doubt that it was indeed rocking by itself. You could also hear the sound of a distant baby crying and what sounded like a muffled female voice singing what could have been a lullaby trying to calm the baby. Needless to say, I was more than a little frightened by this. I made it known and was told there was nothing to worry about as this was just Mary rocking her baby to sleep. Mary is what the family had named her as she was one of the most active spirits. The next incident came about 30 minutes later. It was the sound of dishes being washed and a female humming. Problem was, there wasn't any dishes to be washed and no one was in the kitchen. This was immediately followed by the sound of glass breaking in the bathroom. Now, this got the family up and investigating. This was something new. I was told in a joking manner that the spirits were just trying to make themselves known to me and my brother. Well, they were doing a fine job of that. Things calmed down for a while. We finished watching TV and it was time for bed. My brother got a bed and, and I got the couch. The house was quiet, only the sound of a clock ticking. I was extremely exhausted and wanted to sleep, but at the same time, afraid to do so. Afraid something might grab me in the middle of the night. As I was laying there, I heard faint footsteps coming down the stairs and the voice of a little boy crying, Mommy! Mommy! There weren't any other little boys in the house except my brother and I. I threw my blankets over my head and shut my eyes tightly, wanting it all to stop. Well, I must have fallen asleep. The next thing I know, it's morning and time for breakfast. Remember I said about, remember I said about the shaking bed? Well, my brother told me that about 2 or 3 a.m., he didn't know for sure, the bed he was sleeping in began to shake, and it woke him. He said he thought that he was dreaming it. The lady of the house told us that her first husband had died of a heart attack in that bed at 2.45 a.m., and every night at the hour he died, the bed shakes. 
and told the family about my experiences with the little boy. They said that they were so used to all the events, they just didn't notice them anymore. Needless to say, I was so happy and relieved that my family was able to make it home that afternoon and we could get out of that house. A couple years later, the lady of the house passed away. God rest her soul. She must have taken the restless spirits with her, as the paranormal activity stopped and never occurred again, to my knowledge. Though that creepy feeling of being watched persisted for some time after that. Since that day, I have had an intense interest in the paranormal. I've done many investigations and have had some interesting experiences, some of which I might share later. Thank you, Shane. Uh, yeah, please, share your other experiences. And I mean, the way you're describing this, it almost sounds like somebody's playing a sound effects CD <laughs> in several rooms of the house. It would be hard to get used to that, too. The idea that that lady just kind of like didn't notice it anymore, uh, that would be hard to get used to, especially the idea of a boy coming down the... Because that's audible. The boy walking down the stairs saying, Mommy, Mommy, that would be hard to get used to. I, I could... I could probably get used to the rocking chair going back and forth, maybe the the mom lullabying, because I, I would think that'd be soft enough that maybe you'd kind of get used to it, but a boy yelling for mommy or crying mommy down the stairs, that would just be too creepy for me. This next door, hold on, let me get a, another sip out of here. I'm really dry today. Okay. This next story comes from Jonathan. Hey, Darren, please excuse the horrible writing skills. English is my first language. I graduated from public school in North Carolina. Ha uh ha. -huh. <laughs> yeah, I love that, jo Jonathan. Before I even get to your to your story, you're blaming your incompetence on public school. I love it. Okay. It's, uh, continuing on. Thanks for doing all you do. I listen to the podcast daily and usually pick random a random month to listen to more archive episodes while I work. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. You, you just you just pick a pick a an episode at random, no matter what the month or year of that episode was. You just pick it at random to listen to it work. I see what you're saying there. Okay, moving on. Uh, I now sit behind a computer for work, but when I was in my early twenties, I used to work third shift at a gas station. I loved it. I was a night owl, so it was perfect. Believe it or not, this gas station was haunted. I don't have any history of the land or if somebody died there. Anywho, here is a few quick stories of it. On the back wall of the station, there was a row of refrigerator doors. About every night between 2 and 3 a.m., the doors would fling open and shut. Starting from the right side to the left, it never failed. Afterwards, you would hear noises and things would move about. It scared the crap out of me the first time, but after a while, it just became normal. In fact, sometimes I would yell out, if you're going to be here, start cleaning! <laughs> That would usually keep the noises and movements down. Well, yeah, sure, you're putting them to work. Of course they're going to shut up then. Uh, continuing on, uh, we would close Christmas Eve about 8 p.m., then open back up on Christmas Day at about 7 a.m. I know, doesn't make any sense to me either. I came in to restock the cooler, and my manager called me to her office. On the screen sat a black object. It was standing behind the register. It stood there, moving just a little the whole time the store was closed disappeared when the manager walked in. My last week there, I was restocking the cigarettes. We kept the overstock in the back locked up in its own little room. The back room door couldn't close. Something wrong with the hinges, I think. I stepped into the cigarette room and BAM! 
the back room door slams closed and locked. I tried everything I could to get it open. It wouldn't budge. Lucky for me, one of the local taxi drivers saw it slam from the parking lot and was able to open it. I always assumed whatever was in there was made was mad that I was leaving. Thanks again. In this crazy world, somehow your podcast helps me to stay sane. A note to leave on, failure is not the opposite of success, it is part of it. From someone. This is Jonathan signing out. P.S. Sorry I have a weird sense of humor. <laughs> hey, you do not have to apologize for having a weird sense of humor when you're submitting a story to weird darkness, Jonathan. You're just part of the family here, so thank you very much for the, uh, for the story. I appreciate that. That would be strange. Um, I'm curious about the whole Christmas ghost situation there. You close up at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve and open up Christmas Day 7 a.m., but from 8 p.m. until 7 a.m. or whatever hours nobody was there, you have the camera that's still working and you actually record a black figure standing there at the register the whole time, standing behind the register that whole time, just barely moves, so you know that it's something, it's not like just a, a, a static shadow, you, it's moving, so there's got to be something there. That is that is freaky. That is. I've never heard of a uh, <laughs> of a ghost uh, guarding a, uh, a cash register, but I have heard of Christmas ghosts, you know, hence A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, so maybe, you know what, there you go, there you go, because it's a, it's a cash register. It's probably the ghost of Ebenezer Scrooge because he's become he's become miserly again and he's guarding the money. There you go. That, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, okay, uh, our next story is from Pete. Hi, Darren. Love your show. I'm a longtime listener, and I'm so glad you've made a place for the good people of this earth to tell their stories. This one is a bit weird. I'm not sure if you can if it can be classified as a ghost story, stepping through time, or what but to this day it still sends a cold chill down my back. Back when I lived in Florida and did a lot of Civil War reenacting up and down the East Coast during uh, weekend events at or near historic battlefields, there was this one in particular that will always stay in my memory forever. The Battle of Shiloh, a bloodbath for both sides during the war. It was just getting dusk on a Saturday. The event was over. I was with the 50th Georgia Company E-Volunteers. I represented a militia unit that uh, formed up to defend the city of Savannah, Georgia. I had slipped out of my Confederate greys and into shorts and t-shirt. My tent was one of hundreds, all in perfect formation, according to military regulations of the day for the 19th century, called company streets. Guards posted every so often gave us the impression of, meal re of uh, real military life. I needed to use the portage on. I asked one of the sentries where the nearest one was. He said, just around this red barn, you can't miss it. Thanks. Made it to the john, did my business, left. Just then, it got real quiet. It, uh, I felt all the hairs on my body stand up. I looked up and saw an officer waving to me from the corner of the barn to hurry up. So I ran to him, and he darted away past the barn. I got to the barn around the other side to see that same guard, but no officer. He said, why are you running? I said, well, trying to catch up with the guy in the officer's uniform. He tilted his head and said, you're nuts. You're the only one who's been through here. To this day, was that a ghost or was that a soldier calling me to join the fight? And if he was asking for help and I caught up with him, 
Would I have gone back in time and fought and died? Yours and everyone else's idea. See why it still sends chills down my spine? Thanks for reading this. Signed, Pete. Pete, that is a great story. Somebody needs to flesh that out and make an actual full story about that. The idea that you would be doing a Confederate um, reenactment and then at night somehow come across, like where, however that crossing took place, whether it's a ghost or if it's a time portal or, you know, crossing of universes in some way, to, but to come across an actual soldier and then to be pulled into the actual battle, that would make for a great novel or at least a great short story. Somebody ought to flesh that out or, or do it yourself and send it my way. I'd love to read it. This, uh, this next one comes from Dylan. I have a collection of short stories that I've collected over the last two years. All the stories have the same connection, but I cannot find what the connection is. I started listening to Weird Darkness around September 2020. I found it on Spotify and, at the time, was working as a mobile mechanic. I started my days from our shop outside Joliet and would have to travel long distances like Rockford, South Bend, Champaign, even all the way to Indianapolis. Doing the math of being on the road, all the music I listened to was getting stale. Anyways, I found your podcast and wanted to start from the beginning. The first episode was dated for early 2018, and the more I listened to the podcast, the more I noticed the weird phenomenon going on around me. Just like all phenomenon, it began with small things most, that most people brush off. I had small incidents at work where I would hit my hand on the equipment I was working or smack my head moving up too fast from being under a truck. Once I noticed that these were not coincidental, the phenomenon began to increase in volume and severity. One instance, I got my hand caught and needed stitches from it. Now, as, the back, as a backstory, the job I was doing was a job no one in my family was happy about. My wife and kids hated how I was constantly gone. I believe after leaving the job, um, I believe after leaving the job, it was the catalyst to my occurrences. Anyway, one occurrence left me dumbfounded. I was ending one episode and driving back roads when I slammed on the brakes thinking I was going to hit a train stopped on the tracks. It was a typical intersection, but was not typical, but what was not typical was the flashing red lights and the arms to block the road. They weren't active. Also, what was not typical is the appearance of the train. What I noticed was three gentlemen holding on to the side of the train. As I'm studying the anomaly in front of me, more and more is apparent. I see a single bright light from the front. I'm beginning to realize I'm seeing workers trying to fix a steam engine train. One red flag is one red flag is this is around 11:30 p.m. So I don't see people working that late at night. Two, no flashing light or arms to block the intersection. Usually they are pressure activated. The weight of the train should have activated them. Three, the gentlemen are dressed period correct to the time frame of when steam engine trains were popular. As I'm trying to take in my surroundings, the muffled voice becomes vibrant again, and I hear, in this episode, we'll be talking about the death of Abraham Lincoln and the funeral procession around the country. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but likelihood of seeing this anomaly and five minutes into seeing this having an episode start in regards to the same anomaly I'm seeing? The second main occurrence to happen that took a turn for the worse, I was driving into work, and it had to be around 7.30, 7.45. Now, it's wintertime in Illinois, so it's already dark, but I had an uneasy feeling and 
look through my rearview mirror and I see a dark shadow in my back seat. Once I see this, I talk myself into, not, into it not being real. I began to focus hard on the shadow not being real, and once I convinced myself that it wasn't real, my truck was bumping alongside a fence. I blacked out for what had to have been two to three minutes. I slam on my brakes, pull over opposite the fence, and park on the shoulder of the road. I turn my hazards on and look at the damage. Within 30 to 45 seconds of inspecting the damage, I see flashing red and blue lights pull up. The officer asks me if everything's okay and if I need medical assistance seeing the damage. I tell him no. He then starts to ask what happened. Well, I tell him I saw something in the road and swerved and then lost control. I didn't think bringing up what I really saw would be taken seriously. Anyways, he gives me a look of disbelief and tells me that he's been patrolling this road for the last hour. For the mental picture, it's a two-lane road, a forest preserve on both sides, and the nearest intersections are two miles apart from each other. Well, he continues to say that he was driving opposite to me, saw my hazards turn on, and pulled a U-turn immediately to see why the hazards were on. We both walk the fence line, and I find the starting point to where I drove alongside of the fence. It had to have stretched two to three hundred yards. The police officer is showing a look of confusion. He didn't say it, but his expression looks like, how did this happen and I didn't see it happen? After a few minutes, he gives me some paperwork so I can file the insurance claim and I can make it to work. There were more and more occurrences that led me to believe that it was time to find new work. The culmination of the occurrences was when I totaled that truck. The ending to this is a good ending. Not so after getting a new job, the phenomenon slowly died down. Uh, not so long after getting a new job, the phenomenon slowly died down. It did not end completely, but the occurrences I have are benevolent. The main occurrence that happened was smelling perfume my grandma used as I walked as I walked past my daughter's room. My grandma passed away in 1999. Trying to verify that I wasn't losing my mind, my wife smelled the same smell in the same room. A week later, my younger child's toy started playing on its own. A baby shark, uh, a baby shark board activated by magnets. No one was home at the time, but I walked past it about five, uh, five feet away from the board, and it sang Grandma Shark. A minute later, the board sang Mama Shark. Well, my grandma who has passed on was my. It was. Well, my grandma who has passed on was my mom. Oh, okay. Well, my grandma who'd passed on was my mom's mom. Okay. Sorry about that. The last occurrence related to my grandma was a small 2-inch by 2-inch negative photo sitting on the floor in my garage. The photo negative is a family photo of my mom, her mom, and her dad. In disbelief, I called my mom and asked about the photo. She had no idea how I had it. One, I live in Illinois. She lives in Florida. We don't use physical mail to send things back and forth. Two, she hasn't seen that photo in years. Feeling spiritually lifted and third eye open, I asked my mom what age she was in the photo. She responded, 10. At the time of finding the photo, my daughter was and still is 9. She'll be 10 later this year. I'm not sure why these things are happening. I don't know why it started with bad happenings and moved to good happenings. Was it my job I took on? I believe it a part of it, but I can't find a definitive explanation. Dylan, that is some crazy stuff. And I got to tell you, that's, 
that story about coming across the train that really wasn't there and then listening to an episode of Weird Darkness about that same, possibly that same train. You don't know if that was the same train, but that same time period and everything. I mean, that almost sounds like an episode out of Weirdling Woods. That's uh, that's really freaky. So, And it's interesting that you, you travel long distances like Rockford and uh, South Bend, Champaign, because I'm actually in the Rockford area. So uh, I don't, you don't say exactly, I don't think you say here where that the uh, the train thing took place. But it'd be really interesting if that happened to be in the Rockford area, too. So, anyway, thank you very much for sending those in, Dylan. I appreciate it. Uh, this next one comes from Jen. And let me get a sip here real quick before we, uh, before we continue with her story. I'm doing a lot of drinking tonight. I don't drink, but I'm doing a lot of drinking. You know what I mean. Anyway. Okay, uh, this one says, from Jen. Hi, Darren. I'm a big fan of the Weird Darkness podcast and would like to say a huge hello to all the weirdos out there. I've always experienced strange events growing up, but tonight's story belongs to my grandmother. The story is claimed to be true and was regularly told to us every Christmas Eve. And she calls the story an Irish ghost story. The story is set in the winter of 1953. My grandparents had moved from Ireland to help run a farm and in Denbingshire, Wales. I'm, I may be mispronouncing that word, and I'm sorry, uh, but Denbingshire, Wales is what I'm going to go with. The work was guaranteed and offered free accommodation, but this was little comfort to my grandmother. She found the move very hard and was deeply unhappy. The farm was extremely remote and nestled down a back country road. The nearest property was two miles away, and it was a further five miles to a small town. As well as the feeling of isolation, it was the middle of autumn and the days were getting darker and longer. They'd been there for two weeks when the nightmares started. The dream always started on the country road by her old house in Waterford. Her dad was cycling at night and was approached by a fast-moving car. The car hit him at top speed and left him for dead in the road. She'd awake from the dream in a panic and try and go back to sleep. But she couldn't get the image of, the, of her dad's lifeless body out of her head. At first, she thought it was due to homesickness and the insecurities from being pregnant, but the dreams became more frequent. In the end, she reached out to her father and warned him. He assured her that he'd be okay, and slowly the dreams did settle down. Weeks went by, and my grandparents were making Denbingshire their new home. They got used to their isolation of the farm, and they were starting to get excited for Christmas. However, my grandmother still couldn't shake off a feeling that something bad was going to happen, and before long, the dreams returned. Christmas Eve arrived, and they had spent the day decorating the house. It had been agreed that my grandmother would drive to midnight mass alone, whilst my grandfather looked after the children. Now, my grandmother had only been gone ten minutes when the first incident occurred. My grandfather was in the midst of reading when he heard a very loud knocking at the front door. Thinking it was my grandmother, he raced to open it, but nothing. Absolutely nobody was there. He figured he had misheard it and went back to his book. Ten minutes later, the knocking returned. He opened the door and nothing. This time he put it down to pranksters and went back to his reading. Before he could get comfy, the knocking returned. Well, he's furious and went, and uh, when nobody was there, he started to search around the property. 
Nobody or even a sign of anybody had been there. He stood there for a few minutes and listened. Nothing. Complete silence. He made another quick check with his torch around the house, but there was no sign of anyone. Before he could even get to his seat, the knocking returned. Again, nobody, but he did a much more thorough search of the property this time and even walked down to the lane. Nothing. Nobody and the probability of such was unlikely. It was extremely cold, and the farm was not somewhere a local would visit without an invitation. It was hard to find and very much off the beaten track. Puzzled, he decided he would stand directly behind the door so he could catch whoever was in the act. Sure enough, the knocking came a few minutes later. He swung open the door. Nobody. Two minutes later, the knocking returned. He immediately opened the door to find nobody there. At this point, he started to feel incredibly scared and went back inside. Two further knocks were heard, and then it all ceased. Later on, my grandmother returned, looking very sad. He hugged her and asked her what was wrong. She answered that her dad was dead. She didn't know how she knew, but she just knew that he was dead. My granddad then proceeded to tell her about the strange activity around the house. My grandmother, who was a true believer in the Banshee, firmly believed the knocking was an Irish messenger who was giving a warning of death. My grandfather, who was a true skeptic, even admitted to being unnerved about the whole knocking events and had no rational explanation. On Christmas morning, my grandmother contacted her brother to check on everything back home. Her brother Patrick confirmed that their dad had not returned from the pub a couple of nights prior. Patrick had subsequently gone out looking for him and discovered their father lying dead on the side of the road. It appears he had been hit by a car and left for dead. Unfortunately, nobody ever caught the driver, and my great-granddad was buried three days later. That is a spooky Christmas story, Jen. Thank you for sharing that. And that must be a family story, because you're right, I, I've never heard that before. So you, you said that it's, it's from your family, but uh, that could become a classic. So thank you for sharing that. This next one comes from Chance. Hey, Darren, my name is Chance, and I'm e uh, emailing you from a town in North Alabama you probably wouldn't find on a map. My family's always been sensitive to the spiritual side of life, and I wanted to share some stories that were passed down. Sorry if this gets really long. In Alabama, it is a rare occurrence for snow, and extremely rare for it to not melt immediately. One such rare morning, my great-uncle and family got their winter gear on and went out the door for a fun snow day. When they opened the door, they noticed footprints in the snow and after investigating, they discovered the footprints went all around the house, but they couldn't find any leading to or leaving the house. The kitchen door at their house was akin to one you'd see at a restaurant where it would swing every which way. The door had two bolt locks, one at the top and one at the bottom. When anyone was in the kitchen or even walking by it, the door would unlock and begin to swing of a swing of its own accord sometimes slowly, with intention, as if somebody was peeking through or just wildly swinging. A great-uncle's grandmother was visiting and noticed the door and asked, "'What in the name of God do you want?' Well, after that, the swinging stopped, and it never did it again. While plowing the field in the heat of the day, a relative of, my, of mine was abruptly stopped by his beast of burden, and it refused to progress any further. After a couple of futile attempts to get the cow moving, 
he noticed that the other animals on the farm were severely agitated and afraid of something. He began to look around thinking some kind of predator was around and saw a woman roaming the field without her head. He knew exactly who it was by her dress, and it was a community member that recently died. To try and tie this up, a close childhood friend and his family bought the property. He liked to hike and camp in the woods behind his house. These woods are behind the field, previously mentioned field, and have always given me the creeps. He said while walking through the woods, he would feel like he was being watched, and out of his peripheral or even direct sight, he'd catch a glimpse of a shadow person peeking at him behind a tree before it disappeared. When we were in high school, he mentioned that the attic door, which was in his room, kept opening and couldn't figure out who or what was opening it. After I told him about the story, he has been barricading it ever since. From your fellow weirdo in Christ, Chance. Thank you, Chance. I like that you use weirdo in Christ. It's nice to know that somebody else is picking that up. I gotta wonder about your childhood friend that had a problem with his attic and he just keeps it barricaded now. You should look up there and see if there's a coffee can. Just saying. This next story comes from Mary. Back in 2004, my favorite aunt passed away at the age of 97. My mother inherited my aunt's antique mantle clock that was her parents' late 1800s. After not being able to get it to work, even after taking it to a clock repair shop, she gave it to my older sister. My sister kept it for a couple of years and just had it sitting in the corner of her desk collecting dust. It, uh, I had been estranged from my family for 18 years. I was in an abusive marriage. Thankfully, I finally got out of it. When I made amends with my family, I went to visit my sister and saw the clock, so I asked her if she'd be willing to sell it to me. didn't feel right to ask for it. She said it hasn't worked in all these years, but that she felt that I, I should have it since I was named after the aunt. Knowing that it didn't work, I still didn't care because the clock held memories for me. I've had it for a couple years now, and it's been working ever since I brought it home. I told my sister about it working. She said that that was a sign it belonged with me. I cried the first time it chimed. I feel as if the clock is a part of my aunt and that she is with me. Wow. That's amazing, Mary. That, that's, that's, I've never heard that kind of story before, that something would be broken and then suddenly start working when it's passed to a certain family member. I've heard of things breaking and not ever working again or things starting up on their own, but to hand something off to a, new, to a family member that is, that's not been around that item and suddenly it begins working correctly, that's pretty cool. It makes me wonder what's going to happen when I finally inherit the, uh, the grandfather clock from my grandmother. It's been, been, it's been passed around from, from uh, family member to family member, and I'm, supposed, I'm the one that's supposed to get it once my, once my, my dad passes away, and uh, the, 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 the clock is haunted. So we think it's haunted. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if I, if I get that. Okay, our next story comes from Dawn. Hi, Darren. I guess I'm a kind of a new weirdo. I found your podcast by accident, and I have been hooked ever since. It's everything I was looking for. Plus, you're a wonderful advocate for those of us who live with depression and anxiety. To top it all off, you end your show with bringing us into the light with a reminder that our Father in Heaven is always there for us. It's like a really wonderful present, all wrapped up and topped with a big bow. Why are all of these things so meaningful? Well, as a child, I knew there was something not quite right with me. My first suicide attempt was at the age of 13. Thankfully, I was clueless, and the pills I took just made me take a long nap. 
The second attempt was a lot more serious. I was 32 at this time. I knew that uh, I, I knew that what I took would stop my heart. I remember feeling that my kids would be better off without me. I honestly cannot put into words the mental and physical pain and the anguish I felt. It was like I was a worthless burden to the world, and I was in a bottomless pit void of anything or anyone who would even notice that I was gone. I was ready to check out. Turns out my grandpa disagreed with my choice. He said I was loved and I'd be missed, and my kids needed their mom. This is really hard to relive. My eyes are welling up with tears as I remember and share the raw pain I felt. Anyway, my grandpa told me I had to get up off the floor and call the emergency room. My emergency room, because that's where I worked. Here's the thing, my grandpa passed away 10 years earlier. I was admitted to the psychiatric ward for a month. My parents came and got my kids. What a mess. But I finally got the help and medication I so desperately needed. My story has a happy ending. I eventually got my kids back when I was stable enough, and our lives went on with good times and hard times, but we made it through. Fast forward many years, and I am now a doting grandma to my grandkids, and I am so proud of the adults my own children have become. I now live in the country next to my wonderful, loving, supportive parents. I'm on medication for the rest of my life, which is why I still have a life I would have otherwise left behind. My hope is that others out there will reach out and get the help they need. It's worth it. They are worth it. I'm sure thankful my grandpa stepped in beyond the grave and saved my life. Was he really there? I believe he was. By the way, I just finished my very first weirdo watch party. What a hoot! It was the Monster Walks with Tim the Enchanter. I was Mama DDB in the chat room. I had a blast and the other weirdos had me laughing my behind off. Anyway, sorry this is so long. The Reader's Digest version would have just been a big heartfelt thank you, so thank you. Well, thank you, Dawn, or Mama DDB. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun Weirdo Watch Party. I did not really expect it to be a good watch party because the movie was horrible. Worst movie I think we've ever shown, which I didn't think would be possible after seeing the one... Uh, before it, which was the uh, oh the bloody pit of horror, which was <laughs> it was terrible, but the monster walks was just it it was exponentially worse than that one, and so I really didn't think that we'd have that great of a party. But we had people come out in droves into the chat room for that. It was so much fun. I'm glad that that was your first one and that you had a lot of fun with it and. And that's the point of the chat, too, is that, you know, you, you actually have more fun in the chat sometimes than actually watching the movie. And this is good timing that you're mentioning this because next weekend is our next Weird All Watch party. Um, in fact, let me, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember offhand. I don't, I'm not, since I'm, since I'm ne next to a fire, not in front of a computer, the next one's going to be the, uh, ah, Charles Charles Reigns. It's not the, uh, it's not the psychic, but it's the, the mentalists. Is that what it is? The, uh, well, for crying out loud, I can't think of it right now. What is, it has Charles Reigns and it also has the, uh, the lady from, uh, from King Kong. Uh, she was the one, the one that King Kong captured and, and ran off with. Um, she's in it as well. And now for the life of me, I cannot remember what it's called. It's, um, 
Oh, man. It's going to kill me. Uh, the clairvoyant. That there, the clairvoyant. That's what it is. Um, and Fay Ray, I think, I, I think is the girl's name too. But uh, it's gonna be, it's actually gonna be one of the few movies that we've done that actually is worth watching, from what I understand. It's actually had some pretty good ratings. And Claude Rains is just great in everything he does. So that's coming up this coming Friday, a week from today. It's on uh, Friday the twenty second, and we're actually doing it an hour earlier than uh, than we usually do. It'll be at uh, well, I'm in Central Time Zone, so it'll be 7 p.m. here rather than uh, 8 or... or Actually, I guess it's a couple hours earlier than we normally do it. Because we normally do these things at like 9 p.m. Central Time on a Saturday, but we're doing it at 7 p.m. on a Sunday. Uh, or on a uh, Friday. Uh, so, you know what? I'm The more I talk about this, the more confusing it gets. Just go to, go to WeirdDarkness.com and click on Weirdo Watch Party. You can get all the details about it there. But I'm really glad that you had fun with the first one, Dawn. And... Um, Looking forward to this next one, and more than anything, I'm really thankful that you got the help you needed for your depression. And whether or not it took your grandpa coming back from the grave in order to get you that help, I'm glad that you got it. That's the most important thing. If uh, if Dawn's story does touches anybody, um, if, uh, if that sounds like somebody you know, or maybe even you, if you're struggling with depression, if you're thinking about possibly harming yourself, um, if you go to the Hope in the Darkness page, there are some free resources there for you that can get you that help that you need. Kind of, uh, there's there's free counseling and uh, and there, there's uh, there's groups that you can join, like uh, chat groups, um, support groups online, that kind of stuff that can that can get you some help. Because uh, I know not everybody has money, uh, myself included, and so that's why I was really happy to find those those resources, but they're always there for you on the Hope in the Darkness page. Please use those. Please share those with others. Uh, if you know of anybody who has suicidal thoughts, if they suffer from depression, anything like that, uh, please send them to that Hope in the Darkness page. And really happy to have you as part of our Weirdo family, Don. This next story comes from Katie. Hey, I had a weird experience about 18 years ago. My father lives in Kitchikan, Alaska, which is located in southeast Alaska on the island of, oh my gosh, Revilagajito? Revilagajito? That's what I'm going to say. Revilagajito. I have no idea if that's <laughs> if that's actually uh, correct or not, and I don't think that's that word's used ever again, so it may not matter. But anyway, it's a huge wild island in southeast Alaska with a small city on one side. We decided to take uh, take its fishing uh, crabbing trip to the other side, which is very remote, but has cabins peppered around for people to stay at. We got close to our destination, set out dome crab pots, then anchored our boat and rowed a small boat to the cabin. In the evening, my father, stepmother, and I went out to the main boat to drive around and pull our crab pots. And this is a wild area. No settlements around anywhere close, just wild forest, beach, and water. We started pulling our crab pots, and for some reason, me and my father looked up at the same time and saw something on the shore, about the size of a house, but was a cube with square edges. I described it as the brightest white I've ever seen. My dad describes it as if there was a void in the landscape. As weird as this was, we both kind of shrugged and went back to the crab pots. But seconds later, we were like, what? And looked up, and it was gone. Neither of us heard a splash, a takeoff noise, anything. But it was just gone. 
were both extremely weirded out, but my stepmother noticed nothing. One of the weirdest uh, one of the weirdest experiences of my life. I would have doubted myself, but my father saw it and talks about it to this day. He is a square that doesn't believe in anything weird, but he admits that he has no explanation for it. It's weird we both so saw it and both were like, oh, looked away, and then both were like, what? Looked up and it was gone. It's an extremely remote location. My stepmother didn't notice anything. That is weird. Sounds like you were uh, attacked by the Borg, but didn't realize it. If you suddenly turn into robots, maybe that's the maybe that's the reason for that. That would be a strange thing. Um, I was expecting you to say that you had uh, that you looked up and saw a creature on the side or something like that. I would never have expected a, a perfect cube, and that you saw it look like it was white, but your stepdad looked at stepdad, your dad, whichever, uh, looked up and saw that as a void is weird. One of you sees a void. One of you sees it white, but you both see it as perfectly square. That is really strange. All right. Uh, this next one is, it was sent in anonymously, but they did title it Alien Experience. I was driving down the road late at night or early morning down Straitsville Road in Prospect, Connecticut. I really, um, a really nothing town here in New England. It's an extremely long, straight, ironic, I know, road linking Bethany and Naugatuck to the town, though the woods and a bunch of small houses along the way down and up and, um, oh, through the woods and a bunch of small houses along the way down and up deep hills. Uh, I was a couple hundred feet from the next turn, Porter Hill Road, near the reservoir. It was so early, and I don't remember where I was coming from, maybe my dad's house or making my way home from work. It's 2022 now, and this happened in 2014. It was maybe 2 or 3 a.m., I'll never know. I was driving my old Nissan Maxima, a decent car with a sunroof. Nothing really special about it for your first car as a new driver. I love looking at the sky when I can and having the roof open for that nice summer air. I should preface this by saying I have never drank, nor have I done drugs or smoked anything. I usually don't go to sleep until 5, so I wasn't tired either. I'm driving along, and I glanced up, perfectly safe to do so, there's never been any wildlife on this road like deer or anything. Things don't cross the road much, but I wasn't speeding either. It was a quick glance, not enough to impede my driving, but suddenly a white flash enveloped my car, like when a spotlight comes down from a helicopter in movies to find someone in the water at night. It was so bright it flooded everything. There are no lights on this stretch of road from town to town. I couldn't see. I was blinded. The entire car soaked in bright white light, like being in a way like in a way limbo is depicted in cartoons. Just nothing forever. I felt myself becoming weightless. The car lifted like it was nothing, like a tissue in the breeze. I must have passed out. I don't know. It was 7 a.m. when I fell into my bed. I felt my body drop down a few inches and my eyes opened before I hit the mattress. The flood of light disappeared, and I was in my bedroom, replaced with the regular darkness of the night in the room and outside. I looked up in time to see the light leave the window. There was nothing but my bedroom and myself. Fully dressed for a movie night with my dad or out with friends, I didn't care to look sexy in front of or, or impress. I wasn't scared. I was just a little confused. I didn't feel different, just uncomfortable. Lost. 
I lost a few hours of time. My car was parked neatly outside, sunroof closed, which I never do, my mom always yells at me about this, and my belongings in my purse at my side. iPhone, which I had jammed in the cassette player to play music from and didn't have a phone proper holder at this time, it confirmed I lost hours of time. I never told anyone this. A few months later, my friend Leslie was talking in school about me coming over one night. I can't get to her town without going through that road, and I'd been refusing. To drive down that road at night again, no, I was scared, I was uncomfortable. Everything in me told me not to do it again, even though I was fine and unharmed. I tried to convince myself it was a dream. I don't remember how we got on the subject, but I trusted Leslie. She's never said a bad thing about anyone and has never gossiped. She's kind of a perfect person. I was comfortable telling her something terrifying happened to me. I didn't get a lot out, just something like, have you ever had a crazy alien experience? I wanted to tell her, not about my story first, but about a date I had a few weeks prior with this guy Chris, who I idolized as a teen and finally got to spend some time with at his home in Southington, Connecticut. We left his house and started walking down the street, I told her, in this normal cul-de-sac neighborhood and only got a few paces down. I was trailing behind him, taking a photo behind his back. I noticed that every time he passed a street lamp, it would turn off. It would turn off. If he walked back, it turned on. Crazy, total bull. I figured he had something in his pockets or hands making it happen. I confronted him about it, not rude because I was crushing on him hard, but gently, and he told me how this has been happening to him since he was a kid, and he and his brother and father had an alien encounter with a ship one late night outside of, of the ESPN headquarters. He described the flood of light and some details that I don't remember. Well, back to Leslie. I didn't tell her anything, and she didn't really respond to my question. In the morning at her house, I finally confided in her and said, I had a crazy night with Chris. Something weird happened, and he told me some alien story. I didn't want her to think that I was an idiot or psychotic or something. I adored her. Without prompting or any other further comments from me, she told me a story about a time she lived in Prospect on a little corner of Scott and Austin Road. I never knew she lived there, of course. Here's the wild part that I'll never understand. She didn't know Chris. She hung out in a rich, upper-class circle, and he was part of the underground music crowd. No relation, no prior mention before this, nothing. She told the same story that he told about his ESPN encounter. She told my story, almost word for word. To this day, I don't understand. I won't talk about any of this unless I'm indoors. I won't talk about it at night. Writing this, my body feels red and hot up my spine and shoulders. Shortly after my experience, maybe the next day, I moved my bed immediately out from under the window. I gave the car away to my grandparents when I got a new one. It's destroyed and gone now. I'll never know what happened that night or to my friends. They've both since moved away, and they never met. I've since driven down that road at night and never had another experience. That's whoever you are, Anonymous. That is a freaky story. Definitely... That's, that's something out of a sci-fi movie. Definitely. Uh, this next one comes from Janine. Hi, Darren. I grew up in a suburban neighborhood in Westchester, New York, about 25 minutes from Manhattan. 
When I was six years old, I started seeing a shadow figure. No visible facial features, only an outline of a tall period hat the kind Abraham Lincoln wore. My sister, eight years old, and I used to sleep in the basement, which was already creepy and dark. I'd yell from my mother because I was terrified to get out of my bed to use the bathroom. Some nights she heard me and others she would not come and I waited until the sun came up and would run to the bathroom from holding it in all night. The shadow figure was the first paranormal thing I experienced. The second was a full-bodied apparition of a woman in period clothes with her hair neatly wrapped in a bun while folding clothes in my grandmother's bedroom. She didn't seem malevolent, just watched my every move and then would disappear into the closet. As I got older, I continued to see both figures, and one night I had a sleepover. I was 14 years old, and my friend let out a loud scream, which woke me up around 3 a.m. I asked what was wrong, and she said, the man in the corner, don't you see him? Who is he? I said, not tonight. Go away, and to my surprise, he did. Needless to say, my friend called her mother, and she could not leave my house fast enough. Fast forward to my 20s. My grandmother passed away, and my sister and I were tasked with selling the house. One summer night, we were gathering clothes to donate, and I asked her, is there anyone here who would like to communicate? Well, not more than five minutes later, my sister and I saw our breath, which should have been impossible. It was 85 degrees. After telling family members of my experiences over the years, I was told my grandmother practiced Santeria before becoming a devout Christian and this may have been the reason for the paranormal activity. Since moving a year later into my apartment, I could say I had two experiences, one where the microwave counted down from 50, and the second the, small, the smell of rotting meat. Not sure if something attached itself from the house, but I prayed that, that whatever it was there to go away. I currently live in Connecticut and can say all activity has ceased, and I'm glad you have this platform where I can share my experiences. I never told what happened to me to any of my friends. Only a select few family members before this was because I didn't want to be laughed at or called crazy. Thank you. Signed, Janine. Well, I'm not going to call you crazy or laugh at you, Janine. Um, shadow people, that's actually a, a fairly common uh, story uh, that we get here at Weird Darkness. And there's, there's a specific one, and some people... Uh, don't say that it is an actual shadow person, but some people say it is. It's the sh it's the hat man, and it sounds like that might be what you're dealing with. However, the hat man usually is is described as again, it's just a black outline. You're not really seeing any details of his face or anything like that, much like what you described. But the hat, the I guess the uh, the shadow that it, it makes or the the image it makes, kind of looks more like a fedora. Or something along those lines, not the the tall top hat that you're talking about, like what Abraham Lincoln is often pictured wearing. So, now I don't know if there's if there's a correlation between those two or not. But I just it's it's interesting that you would mention that that shadow people and with a hat. And so I would immediately thought of the Hat Man. Uh, this next one comes from Lisa. Hello, I recently got onto Spotify after the Rogan brouhaha discovered your podcast, and brother, it is right up my alley. <laughs> I love everything about it. I'm a 55-year-old retired veteran, and I worked security, mostly overnights, for many years before getting into pre-hospital medicine and enlisting as a medic. 
Well, as retirement sometimes does, it got boring after a while, so I took a nice, easy security job at a warehouse transfer facility for something to do. When I say this place was big, I mean cavernous. The building covered 770,000 square feet. It was three stories tall, and there were 36 bays for semi-trailers and three more bays for deliveries. There was more acreage outside for empty trailers to park and freight to be dropped. It was a secure facility, which means that employees and vendors needed a badge to access the warehouse from any door. There were cameras at all access points that were monitored from the security desk, and in addition, a computer program logged every keycard entry and exit by name, location, and time down to the second. No one came or went without it being logged and witnessed. This is important. No employees were on site on the weekends when I was scheduled. Now, a lot of creepy things happened in this place. The southeast corner had nothing in it but was boiling with dark energy. There was a giant shadow man with a perfectly round head that took up the entire back wall and would glide back and forth, and although it was directly in the path of three cameras, never showed up on any of them. I'd hear loud crashes like bins being pulled down onto the concrete floor, but when I followed the sound, everything would be neat and in order. Sometimes I would simply walk in the doors to begin my walking patrol and the weight of being watched would be almost palpable. One Friday, I was off Fridays, maintenance had to run two back, uh, backup generators all day and night for an inspection. These things have their own rooms. They can power a neighborhood. They are loud. When I walked in that Saturday morning, it was like being punched in the face. Whatever was in there was absolutely livid at being disturbed, I guess. I can only describe it as the air was angry. Top creepy unexplained event at this site. I was walking my required hourly patrol route uh, around the perimeter and checked the doors I'd already checked for the sixth time. Right in the middle of the floor, where I'd already been an hour before, placed perfectly right side up was a four-inch rubber cable cap for scale about the size of a medium DQ blizzard cup with, with quarter-inch thick walls. There was no way for it to have gotten there on its own. No one else was on site, no one could have entered or left without me knowing about it, or the cameras seeing it, or the computers logging it. The air handlers were strong, but not strong enough to pick up a heavy four-inch rubber cable cap and carry it 20 feet from its bin and place it perfectly in my path. If it was a gift, I was careful to respectfully say thank you, just in case, and set it to the side so the cameras wouldn't see me take it. Two hours later, in the exact same place, was a white feather. Birds got in the warehouse from time to time, so not too weird, but in a same spot? One hour later, a piece of paper, specifically one of the papers you peel off the back of an adhesive panel uh, pallet seal, it was blank. Again, placed perfectly in the center of the walkway. No one had come or gone through any door, and none of the cameras that were trained on that area or leading to it showed anything. I wrote hello on the paper and set it back down. The next hour, it was gone. I spent 10 minutes looking for it. Just gone. Creepy explained things. The long steel cables on the bay doors would bang about in the winds and make that Michael Myers kill sound. And because of the great acoustics, would be deafeningly amplified. 
There was one officer who flatly refused to go into the warehouse because of this. An extra creepy thing was the aged cascading phone system that was connected to the administration building downtown. If it rained reasonably hard, which happened often enough, the wires would cross and suddenly a random landline conversation between some nice office ladies would come booming over the warehouse PA. That'll startle you out of your socks, believe me. This is long, so feel free to edit for time and clarity. Thanks again for the best podcast I've ever come across. Yours in weirdness and darkness, Lisa, Northern Indiana. Well, I did not have to edit that for time or clarity because I think that was a great story just the way it is, Lisa. Uh, that and I had no idea what I was getting into before I started reading it because that's the way I do Fireside Frights. But that is amazing stuff. Um, I, I'm curious about the idea that you wrote a hello on that note and then it was taken. Did did the note ever come back with something else written on it? Or have you did you ever try putting another piece of paper there with, with a message and seeing if that disappeared? I mean, it looks like you almost had a possibility for a conversation there with whatever was in the building. Um, and had did you ever go in and find um, any, like, history to, not necessarily the building, because it sounds like it was a pretty new building, but maybe, like, the area, like, the property it was built on or something like that? Was there anything that could possibly explain some of the weirdness that was taking place there? And the idea that you would do that by yourself, um, you're the only one on the premises dealing with all of this stuff. You are a brave individual. You mentioned that you are a retired veteran, so maybe that has something to do with it. Thank you for your service, by the way. Um, wow. I don't understand. You mentioned the whole Spotify thing with the Rogan brouhaha. I know what you're talking about. I never got the Rogan thing. Uh, Joe Rogan, I've I've tried listening, and I could only get like four minutes into it, and I just got bored out of my skull. I just can't get into the Joe Rogan thing. So I don't know why why he uh, there's such a whoop-de-doo about him and why there was a brouhaha. So, uh, okay, moving on. Let's go to... Uh, this one comes from Kirsten. Years ago, my husband and I were expecting. I was not home, and our crib we got as a hand-me-down was in our dining room waiting for the baby to arrive. My husband was alone in the house, and he walked by the dining room to the kitchen, and as he walked by, he saw this figure standing over the empty crib. It appeared to be a woman. He heard her singing, Hush, Little Baby. He did a double take, and then he looked at her again, and she continued to sing, and then he saw her look at him, and he was so weirded out. I think the crib was haunted because we never had any issues since. Thanks. A big fan I am, signed Kirsten. Well, uh, why would you keep the crib? You said that you think the crib was haunted, but you didn't have any issues since then. I would not have kept the crib to find out. Um... Or if I was going to keep it, I definitely wouldn't put my baby in it, that's for sure. If, I mean, if you want to keep the crib, put it in the garage or the basement or the attic or somewhere where it's out of the way, but I would not be using it for a, for my actual baby. Uh, that is, that's freaky stuff. Okay. This one comes from Giselle, or, or is it Giselle? I'm going to go with Giselle. It could be Giselle, but I think it's Giselle. And she, she actually is extremely active on just about everything that uh, I do on Weird Darkness. She... She comments on the YouTube channel. She uh, she's in. I think she's in the locals group, the, the weirddarkness.locals.com uh, group. In there, she she comments there. She is a patron. Uh, she sends me emails. She I think she's quite she's quite possibly the biggest weirdo I have. So Joselle, thank you very much. You are very much loved. 
Uh, here's what she wrote. Hi, Darren. I'm so happy for you. You have to be ecstatic about being your own boss. You deserve every bit of it. Okay, before I go on with Joselle's um, email here, just to let people know, I am now my own boss. And in fact, this is the first week of me being uh, self-employed completely. I walked away from my, from my real job, which I'd been at for 10 years. I've been in radio for 32 years um, up until... Friday of last week. That was my last day, and now it's just the podcast and my voiceovers, and that's it. Took a step of faith and decided to to do this full-time, and uh, so far it's going great. In fact, there are some big things that have happened just in the last few days that I'm not allowed to tell you about just yet. Some things that don't even have anything to do with the podcast, but the timing, it's it's it can't be a coincidence for me to step away from doing something and taking a step of faith, and then for certain things to happen. Um, but I'll tell you about those once I, I am able to. But um, I, let's just say I've got confirmation that I truly believe confirmation from God that I made the right step. Okay, anyway, moving on. Uh, here's what Joselle wrote. Um, I promised you a story. This is absolutely true. Being I'm a sensitive, I truly felt everything that happened in this dream. I had this dream about five years ago. It really frazzled me to the core. It'll I will never forget. So here goes. And she calls it past future me, not me. One night, my husband and I had gone to bed, and I fell into a deep sleep. All of a sudden, I'm in another place and or time. It's hard to tell if it's me I'm dreaming about or someone else. So anyway, I'm being drugged down a main street of some town. The issue with this is I'm being drugged backwards. I can't see my legs or arms, just that it's happening very fast. I can't see the person that's doing this to me either. I can see people standing around just watching it happen. While the whole time I'm yelling for help, they just watch. No one makes a move to help me. All of a sudden, the person makes a right up between some buildings. The person's pulling me towards an 1800s-style dilapidated old house. I'm being pulled between wire fencing on both sides of me. Dirt's flying all around me, and I'm still yelling for help. Now, I'm totally freaking out and screaming, help, I'm being buried alive. By then, I wake myself up, screaming, help, I'm being buried alive. I woke my husband up, screaming, totally freaking out. All I can say is I will never forget that dream, ever. It felt so real. I've always wondered if it was precognitive or past. Thank you, Darren, for letting me tell my story. Keep up, keeping on. Well, thank you, Giselle. Um, I don't have any opinions as to whether or not it's uh, precognitive or past, or if it's just a dream. You mentioned that you are, um, what do you call yourself? You call you call yourself a sensitive. So I don't know. There might, may or may not be something about it. But I think we've all had those dreams that are just so realistic. It's hard to explain them away as just a dream. Um, I had one many, many years ago. I don't know if I've ever told this on the on the podcast before or not. Um, I had a dream that I was a father. Uh, my, in case you in case you uh, you don't know, my my bride and I we've been married now for 27 years. We do not have kids. We actually chose not to go that route. But I had a dream that, and I think I think I actually had the dream before Robin and I got married. So this was a long time back. But I had this dream that I had a, a, a child, and the child looked so much like me when I was a little kid. Um, maybe two years old, three years old, 
big giant smile, uh, orange hair, uh, just adorable little kid laughing and I was playing with him and I just loved him beyond loved him in this dream. And I can't remember too much about what happened in the dream, but what I do remember is my emotions waking up because something had been taken from me. When I woke up, it, it, I, I, can't, I can't say that it actually felt like what a parent would feel like because I'm not a parent, so I really can't say that for sure. And I don't want, I don't want to minimize that in any way if a parent was to lose a child. But in my own, in my own existence, in my own um, ignorance of being a parent, the, it felt like a child had been taken from me because suddenly now this child that I loved so much in my dream was gone. And I literally cried when I woke up because I knew that I was never going to see that my son again. And it, it was, it was so powerful and it's still, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the story now because it's still so fresh in my memory, even, even after all of these years, because it felt that real. And, um, you're probably going to ask, well, then why didn't you have kids someday? And honestly, we we prayed about it and just decided that was not the direction that we needed to go. And I, I mean, I, I'm sure that if we did go that route and have kids, that weird darkness wouldn't exist because there's no way I would have been able to spend the amount of time in order to make this happen for so many years now before making it a full-time job. And I probably wouldn't have been able to go into radio uh, because that didn't really pay very well. never did. Um, so, I mean, one little choice in your life, of course, changes everything that, that happens after it. You know, it's the whole butterfly effect thing. So, uh, I have no idea where I'd be today if I decided, if we decided that we were going to have kids, but still that doesn't change the fact that it just, it felt so fresh that that wound was so deep at that time. So yeah, we all have those dreams that are so realistic. And, uh, in fact, that would actually be a great topic for a, uh, for an episode sometime if if you send me a send me a story for this is for anybody listening not just you Chazelle, but anybody that had a dream so realistic that you had a hard time believing it wasn't real once you woke up i'd love to have those stories that, that would make for a great episode by itself okay moving on uh let me get a, a sip real quick before i continue Starting to run low on water. I'm gonna have to get a refill here soon. All right, this one comes from Nina, and I like the way that she spells her name. It's N I I N A. I've never seen a Nina with two eyes like that. It's pretty cool. Uh, she says, "Dear Mr. Marler, I love listening to Weird Darkness and have recommended it to everyone I know who fancies the weird." The below is a true story about an occurrence that both my daughter and I had. My name is Nina, and I don't care if I do or don't receive any credit for telling my story. If you feel like mentioning me, that's totally cool with me. It was 2013, and the collapse of the housing market had completely taken its terrible toll on my husband and my finances. We were regrettably forced to move in with my parents. After a brief month, another married couple often uh, offered to split a house that they were renting with us. They too had fallen on hard times. When we asked about their former arrangement, we were told that their previous roommate had died due to losing her battle with addiction. Unfortunately, this is not the first time that we've had this occurrence with both family members and friends, so we moved in with our four-year-old daughter. This was an older house, and my daughter's room was much further away from my and my husband's bedroom. This made me terribly uncomfortable. 
the couple that we uh, that we house shared with seemed to not be battling with their addictions. They seemed to enjoy the addictions. The previous roommate had passed away in the bedroom that my husband and I shared. Still, I grew increasingly more and more uneasy about my daughter's bedroom being on the opposite side of the house. I assumed it was because of the loud music and all night, every night of the roommate's constant flow of traffic. One night, my daughter Ryland, not her actual name, begged me so much that I took pity and told her that she would sleep in the room with her father and I. So, we made our way across the house to her bedroom to get her pajamas. Once Ryland opened the door to her bedroom, I walked in behind her. On the farthest side of the bedroom, at the head of her bed, stood a very tall shadow man. My heart thudded hard and I felt the blood drain to my feet. It literally seemed like I was bleeding to death from my brain. I have never been so terrified in my entire life. Two tiny hands gripped my knees from behind me and I realized that Ryland had run behind me. To my complete astonishment, I heard my voice speaking. It was calm and authoritative. It's okay, Ryland. Without taking my eyes off of the shadow, I reached my arm behind me and felt my fingertips brush against the light switch on the wall. In a fraction of a second, the darkened man dropped to the ground and crawled on all fours from the head of the bed down to the foot and behind a curtain. There was a window directly at the foot of the bed. The speed of this creature was inhumanly fast. By the second that the room flooded with light, the shadow man had vanished completely. I ran over to the bed and pulled up the comforter from the bed. There was nothing underneath. No, Mom, he went behind the window curtain, Ryland cried. I know that, sweetheart. I wanted to show you under the bed first. See, he's nowhere to be seen, I answered her. Again, behind the curtain, nothing was there. Ryland began to shake violently. With that, I hugged her tightly and then I grabbed those pajamas triple fast and ran out of that room. My daughter never slept in that room again. At that time, I was not walking with my Savior Jesus Christ. I attribute that shadow creature bowing his knees and hauling butt away to my little girl. Ryland had just given her heart to Jesus at her grandparents' church a few months before this occurrence. He could not bear to be in the presence of the light inside of my daughter. I had the proof that many don't receive. Here was inevitable evidence that the prince of the air existed. If there's demons, then surely there is a devil. Again, if the devil exists, then so too must God. I'm very glad today that Jesus Christ has freed me from the evil one. We have the authority through the blood of Jesus to cast out every demon. They must go. I'm still waiting for my heavenly father to allow my daughter to see the angel that he has given charge over her. I think it's about time that she sees the other side now. Thank you for considering this for your show. I sincerely appreciate everything that you do. May God bless you and make everything your hands find to do prosper. Your sister, Nina. Well, thank you, Nina. Great to have another uh, weirdo in Christ listening. And yeah, you know what? The faith of little children is so powerful. Um, I, I, won't get, I won't get into that, but uh, there, there are stories that you, you hear a child say something or pray something and there's just so it's it's just so heavy with with emotion and truth and insight and wisdom and so yeah i could totally see how a demon might have some issues with a child who knows jesus uh walking into the room 
Um, but that being said, you said you were you weren't really work, walking with Jesus at the time, but you had given your life to Him. So you had a little light in you as well too. It's just that uh, you weren't showing it nearly as brightly as your little girl. But man, that's that is great. And yeah, yeah, with the with the past in that house, with somebody dying of addiction and the darkness and the parties and everything going on in there, it wouldn't surprise me that some sort of demonic presence would be there. I'm very, very glad that you were there to help your little daughter and that uh, you got her out of there. And I'm hoping that you moved out of there shortly thereafter. You don't say you did, but I'm, I'm sure you did. This next story comes from Lynette. Hi, Darren. I listen to your podcast regularly and just love it. I was listening to a January 2022 upload about hitchhikers, and it reminded me of an experience I had as a young adult several too many years ago and thought I'd share. I have other stories from living in a haunted house, however, I'll leave them for another time. I was driving in a remote part of our country late at night, or, or excuse me, a remote, remote part of our county late at night. I live in southern West Virginia, so almost everything is remote. It was raining, and as I drove, I saw a guy walking on the same side of the road that I was on. When he looked back, I immediately thought that it was a friend of mine. I wouldn't want my friend walking late in the rain, so I, as a quick decision, decided to pull over and see if he wanted a ride. Normally, I would say that me being a girl wouldn't be relevant. However, considering this guy was about six foot two and I'm five foot three in this story, I feel that it's important to fully understand it. Anyway, I pull over and the guy came up and opened the passenger side door. I said, hey, want a ride? He leans in and says, sure, thanks. As soon as he leaned over to get in, I immediately knew this was not my friend. I mean, this guy looked like my friend. Long hair, large build, but carrying a Bible. I silently scolded myself for being so stupid. At this point, my only two options were to pull off with the guy hanging halfway out of the car or go ahead and give him a ride. I chose the latter. As we drove, we made small talk. I don't remember the entire conversation since, after he made this statement, I couldn't think of anything else. He says he had just gotten out of prison for murder that day and was heading to the house of his elderly couple just at the bottom of the mountain to thank them for bringing the word of God to the prison. He said that they'd been instrumental in his coming to Christ and he wanted to thank them personally. I pretty much stopped listening after he said, prison for murder, but responded with something like, oh, that's great, or something I'm sure equally as awkward. He explained that they didn't know he was coming since he wanted to surprise them and hoped that they were at home. About that time, he said I could let him out at the next cross street, and I did. He thanked me for the ride and politely got out in the rain. I pulled off thanking the good Lord that I had survived what could have turned into a terrible situation. I considered calling the police, but couldn't think of what I would say. Yeah, I picked up and released a convict looking for the house of the couple who brought him to the Lord and have no idea who they are, who he was, or where he went, but please come check it out. Yeah, that wouldn't work. So instead, I just listened to the news and watched the paper. I never saw anything about something happening to anyone, thank goodness. This guy could have been the best guy in the world, or he could have still been a murderer, I'll never know. But I do know I left that encounter with a newfound understanding of how dangerous it could have turned out to be. Long story short, I don't pick up hitchhikers anymore. 
whether I think I know them or not. Thanks for listening to my story. Love you and your show. God bless. Lynette, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I would be torn in that situation. Being a born-again believer myself, I would want to believe the guy uh, that he's that he you know he found God in in prison and that he's actually going to thank those people. But yeah, hearing those words that that he used to be a murderer or that he he was in prison for murder, right then and there, you have to think, okay, well, even if you are godly now, you've got a really dangerous past behind you, and I don't know if I want you in my car. So, I mean, just because somebody uh, finds God doesn't mean that they're perfectly safe. Uh, not not all the time. Uh, that 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 would be scary. Uh, so, I'm really glad that it worked out for you, and um, not well for you, but also for the for the old people for that he was going to see. That because obviously it worked out for them too, because there was nothing in the paper, and so nothing happened. Wow. I do have one last story. Let me take a real quick sip before we go on with it. Before I get to this last story, though, I do need to let you know that this is not only the last story for the episode, but the last story that I have at all for Fireside Frights. I was able to use all of them that I've received over the last month for this episode, but that means that I don't have any stories at all moving forward. So, if something has happened to you or someone you know, if you want to send in your story, uh, I would love to receive it and use it in our next Fireside Frights episode. It's very rare that I turn one down. Um, that would only happen if I start reading it and realize that I can't understand a thing that's being said. I looked them over very briefly for that before putting them in. I try not to read them um, in detail because I like to read them uh, on the spur of the moment for you on Fireside Frights, but I do check to see if there's any grammar or capitalization. If everything's a run-on sentence, then I'll just drop them off to the side and, and not use them. But that being said, if you want to send me your stories, I could definitely use them for the next Fireside Frights and and uh, and future ones as well. So just go to WeirdDarkness.com, click on Tell Your Story, and you can send in your stories. And there's a possibility, we're not sure yet, but there's a possibility we might actually make these into a book series in the near future for uh, like, like a Fireside Frights book series through Weird Darkness, uh, debating it right now. More, more information about, about that to come if we decide to go that direction, but there's a possibility that your, your story would actually end up in a book. Uh, okay, here we go. The very last story for the evening, it's from CJ. Hey, Darren, my name's CJ, and I'm from Northern California. I'm 25, and I currently work as a senior roughneck on a drilling rig, and your podcast helps me get through the long and tiring work shifts, since I work 12 to 18-hour shifts on both days and nights. Although being in rural and isolated areas on the rig, I've seen and heard some of the most bizarre, sometimes most terrifying and unexplainable experiences, as well as even a handful of paranormal experiences while growing up, and I'd love to send some of these stories to you and the rest of the weirdos later on, but this story isn't about one of them. Well, aren't you the tease, CJ? <laughs> so give me that whole paragraph about how you have all these great stories to tell, but no, I'm not going to tell any of those right now. I'm going to tell you something else. So hopefully you will come back with those stories in the future, CJ. Okay, moving on, he continues to write, From 2018 to 2020, I was a CO in Southern Nevada working as a Category 3 peace officer in the Nevada State Prison System. 
I've seen a lot of things and had a lot done to me. In 2020, I was diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and was medically separated from my department. That led me to start heavily drinking, and even to the point of drinking so much just to fall asleep. My experiences began about a month after I was separated and moved myself to Bullhead City, Arizona to give myself a new start in life. I was even giving a, given a maintenance job at the, the apartment I was living at, and I thought it'd be a fresh start that I'd need, but boy was I wrong. One night, I had just put away a bottle of JD and was settling down for the night. That was when I heard footsteps coming up the stairs and a knock at my door. I thought to myself, who the heck is knocking at my door at 11 p.m.? So I walked up to my door and looked through the peephole. To my surprise, no one was there. Hmm, strange, I thought to myself. So I walked back to my bed, laid back down, and about five minutes later, it happened again. So I followed my same routine as before, and yet, still, no one was there. Now, thinking someone's messing with me or someone's trying to lead me to open the door and possibly rush my home, I was getting irritated and honestly a little worried. Now I'm feeling sober and on alert. I laid back down and just as my head hit the pillow, the knock came again. I immediately reached for my Glock 19 9mm and racked around, ran to the door, put the hand with the firearm behind my back and flung the door open. And to my amazement, no one was there. I did, however, feel a rush of cold wind hit me like a freight train. Gah, it's cold, I thought, as I shut the door and locked it. I dropped the magazine and unloaded the chambered round and put my handgun back into my lockbox in my nightstand. I laid my head down and slowly fell asleep. That night, I had the most terrifying dream I have ever had at that point in my life. I was back in uniform, walking the segregation unit. The sounds of the inmates were, were everywhere, which was common. All of a sudden, the lights went out and everything went quiet. One single light loomed over the top tier. I looked around and then up. That's when I saw a figure standing, looking over the railing, and it looked like just a black mass with massive white eyes. I remember yelling, inmate, get down here and cuff up. All of a sudden, it smiled, these sharp-looking teeth, and its eyes began to glow an amber red. I immediately reached for my weapon, a standard law enforcement retractable baton called an ASP, and deployed it with a sickening three clicks as the baton shot out of its handle as I snapped my arm and wrist down at a 45-degree angle. Just as it deployed, the thing jumped off the top tier and landed on me with a terrifying growl and scream. I woke up in a startle, sweating immensely, looking around. That's when I felt a burning on my hip. I looked down to see a red bruise had formed there. What the? I thought to myself. I called a friend who I knew was a sensitive and took her abilities extremely serious. She came over and wouldn't even walk through my door. She looked at me. CJ, what in the world have you allowed in your home? I looked at her in shock. What do you mean? I asked. I, I can't go in there. I'm sorry. I'd ask for a change of apartments if I were you. And that was it. She just walked quickly down the stairs, and I swear I heard her tires screech as she took off back to her hometown. I was shocked. What in the actual hell? I just looked around my apartment and felt defeated. I just wanted a new start, I thought to myself, as I felt a tear hit my cheek. 
This experience was the start of months of dark, disturbing, and terrifying nightmares. One I remember is a deep and gargled voice telling me one night, "'Your mind and soul are weak. You will soon be mine.'" My PTSD, anxiety, and yes, sadly, my drinking heightened and got worse, to the point that I felt like there was only one way for it to end. My now ex-girlfriend actually called me the moment I was getting ready to do the deed and knew something was wrong. She immediately came over and, being sensitive herself, she started to slowly move in with me to help me start making changes. We moved apartment buildings on the same property and we had a great beginning. That was until the night things started happening outside of my dreams. One night in September of 2020, we were laying in bed when I heard a sickening crash come from the living room. I immediately go for my handgun and flashlight. I flip on the light, placing my hand under my wrist that was holding the firearm and began checking each corner closet and room in the apartment, yelling out, I have a gun! Come out now and nothing will happen! The police are being called now! Out of the corner of my eye, I see a flash of black, darker than the darkness around me, run past me. I turned, on its, I turned it in its direction and nothing was there. I went towards the living room light switch and flipped it on. I saw absolutely nothing but a couple of pictures that had been thrown across the room, one of them being my late canine partner, Jed. I broke down in tears. Months before, Jed saved my life while we were off duty and on a run when a drunk driver jumped the curb and he pushed me out of the way and took the impact himself. My partner, my four-legged furry brother, my baby boy, and my best friend died in my arms that day, giving me one last lick on the face before finally being at rest. This event that night didn't just sadden me, it enraged me. The picture on and his collar were all that I had left of him, and whatever was messing with me, trying to hurt me, knew this picture would get to me. At that moment, I knew it was time to go to battle. My ex and I set up to move in December. Things happened, and we broke up. I knew my last two months in the apartment I was going to have to deal with it alone. I began reading about spiritual protections, prayers, symbols, anything that could get me through it and hopefully keep the activity at ease. Everything I did only enraged the thing, from glasses flying off the counter to objects being flipped over or thrown all over the house, to waking up with cuts and bruises on my body while sleeping, to seeing the dark figure out of the corner of my eye, to hearing a deep voice say my name in a whisper by my ear. My depression and anxiety were taking a mental toll on me. I felt myself get closer to where I was in the last apartment. That was until my second-to-last night in the apartment. I woke up around 2 a.m. For some reason, Jed's collar was laying next to me. Weird, that's supposed to be packed away. I looked at my bedroom door. A dark figure with amber-red eyes was looking at me, smiling, standing in the doorway. Slowly, it began to walk towards me. I grabbed for my handgun and flashlight. All of a sudden, I heard what sounded like a bark and growl and a smaller, four-legged entity began to manifest itself out of the corner of the room. It rushed the bigger entity with one final growl from the smaller entity, it made contact, and both disappeared. I looked around the room, flipped on my nightstand light. Nothing was there. I got this overwhelming feeling of relief and light, and I began to cry. Did Jed just come back and save my life once again? 
I clenched his collar and laid back down and fell into a heavy sleep, whispering, Jed, if that was you, thank you, buddy. You always were my protector. I love you. A couple days later, I loaded up my GMC pickup and the trailer and headed down to Northern California. I placed Jed's collar on my rear view and didn't even look back. Although I still struggle daily with my own demons, I want to thank you, Darren, and thank the Weird Darkness community. You all have helped me overcome a lot of my mental issues and have helped me have a lot more light in my life. So here's a little turnaround for you, Darren. Now that we're done with the darkness, I'm going to leave you all with a little light. God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. Keep the faith and keep pushing forward. No matter how hard it gets, always remember, you are never out of the fight. God bless Darren, and God bless Weird Darkness. What a way to end tonight. I had no idea that was going to be the last story. All I knew is that it was a long story, and so I saved it for the end, but I had not read it yet. What a way to end tonight. CJ, thank you so much, man. That is an incredible story. Incredible. Um, I don't know about pet ghosts, but man, how else do you explain that? It, it was either Jed or or God sending you something that looked like Jed to, to save you that night. Who knows? Maybe maybe angels can come in the form of dogs. I don't... That is, that is an incredibly crazy but uplifting story. Wow. And I'm so thankful that you're still with us. That you were able to get that uh, that help that you needed. Um, and I don't know if you got that from the Hope in the Darkness page at WeirdDarkness.com or where you got it. And I don't care. So long as you got it, that's the important thing. But stories like yours just show that much more how important it is that there is some resources for people that they can reach out and get the help that they need. And that's what we have on the Hope in the Darkness page. There's the Seven Cups app there. There's um, ifred.org, who uh, they, they do a lot of stuff. Uh, to help people who um, who have depression. They're more of a research and education type of situation, so um, they're helping people in the early days and also the people that know them. Um, but the Seven Cups app is great if you do have depression right now and you just need to talk to somebody or if you're looking for like a support group online. Again, it's all free. And then, of course, there's the Suicide Prevention Lifeline that's there. Um, if you're feeling like maybe you're going to hurt yourself, if you're if you're contemplating taking that last step, um, please don't. Please call them first and and let them talk to you and uh, give you a bit more perspective on life before you take that that plunge. So that, that's it for tonight, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please share it with somebody you know who loves the paranormal or strange stories, true crime, monsters, unsolved mysteries. And please leave a rating and review of the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening in. Doing that does help the show to get noticed. And you can also email me anytime with your questions and comments through the website at WeirdDarkness.com. And like I mentioned, we are needing more stories for next month's Fireside Frights. I'm completely out at this point. So click on Tell Your Story when you go to WeirdDarkness.com and send in your true story. And again, I, I mentioned earlier that I think it'd be great if people sent in those dreams that were so realistic that you had a hard time believing that they weren't real when you woke up. I would love to hear, see some of those. We could make a, an entire episode out of just those uh, sometime. 
uh, all stories in Weird Darkness are purported to be true unless stated otherwise. Weird Darkness is a production and trademark of Barler House Productions, copyright Weird Darkness. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And although CJ did give us a final thought that was great, I already had one planned, so I'll share it with you. Madame Jean Guyon said, If knowing answers to life's questions is absolutely necessary to you, then forget the journey. You'll never make it, for this is a journey of unknowables, of unanswered questions, enigmas, incomprehensibles, and most of all, things unfair. I'm Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness.